Indigenous girl is found dead in Thunder Bay, and leaders are wondering why missing persons protocols are still not adequate despite a history of inquiries and promises by the Thunder Bay police to improve. Worker killed at recycling facility. Journalist is detained and his camera is seized by police at the scene of a car accident in Guelph. The Yellowhead Institute says it will no longer track progress on the recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission because progress is too slow. Kia Canada is hoarding cars, forcing consumers to wait to receive them, and an update on the war in Ukraine. Good morning. It's Thursday, December 21st. Folks, it is the solstice. Here are your headlines. We start this morning in Thunder Bay. Mackenzie Munez was found dead on Monday near the city's marina. The Globe and Mail's Willow Fiddler reports that she was found about eight kilometers away from where she had last been seen on Wednesday before. Mackenzie was just 14 years old and was from the Neskantiga First Nation. Students from Neskantiga and eight other First Nations communities go to the boarding school there because they have no local options. In response to her death, Alvin Fiddler, Grand Chief of the Anishinaabe Aski Nation, and Nest Kangtiga Chief Chris Munez said they were concerned about the protocols and procedures that were followed related to missing Indigenous people. Munez's death is a tragedy on its own, but taken with the history of young Indigenous people dying under suspicious circumstances in Thunder Bay, the death calls into question the progress that's been made to keep Indigenous youth safe while they live in Thunder Bay. From the year 2000 to 2011, seven students from Nishinaabe Aski Nation died suddenly while living in Thunder Bay to attend high school. In a 2018 report, it was found the police didn't, quote, conduct complete death investigations in those cases and several others of Indigenous people. Their conduct was often tainted by racial discrimination, unquote, paraphrased Fiddler. The Thunder Bay Police Board is supposed to be going through hundreds of recommendations to improve policing and improve relationships between them and the large, growing Indigenous population within Thunder Bay. Now, let's stay near Thunder Bay for the next story. A worker has died at the GFL Environmental Facility in Rosslyn. Citing a GoFundMe that was set up to give money to his widow and two children, TBAnewsWatch.com reports that the worker was Mike Sharp. The story gives no information about what happened, but does say that the Ministry of Labor is investigating. Now, if you go to the GoFundMe, you'll see that someone donated an incredible $25,000 to the sum. I saw that, I thought, wow, and then I went back to the article. Then, looking to see who runs GFL, I saw the same name as the donation. It was given by GFL's founder and CEO, Patrick Dovigi. Now let's go to Guelph, where Guelph Today's Taylor Pace is reporting that a journalist with Guelph Today had his camera stolen from him by police. Richard Vivian was on the scene of a fatal collision at College Avenue and the Hanlon Expressway. He walked towards the scene, along with pedestrians who were still using the sidewalk, and an OPP officer yelled at him while he started to take photos. He only got about 10 photos taken in rapid fire before he was yelled at. The officer then, well, I'll let Vivian tell his story, quote, He came over and grabbed me by the jacket, my left wrist, so he had control of my left arm. He then told me that he was seizing my camera, unquote. 
The officer held on to Vivian even after he handed over his camera, and he said that had Vivian refused, he would have been arrested. Then he was told that, quote, officially it was seized by the coroner under the coroner's authority to seize during an investigation, unquote. Vivian was told to stand behind an OPP cruiser. He was booked and detained for 15 minutes. He was then asked if he wanted a warrant receipt for his seized camera. When he said that he was told that he was being detained, the officer said, oh, yeah, you're no longer being detained. The coroner's boss, and I don't know who the coroner's boss would be, but anyway, in the story, this guy's boss then said that they would give back his camera, but they were going to keep his SD card. No one explained anything to Vivian, nor did they explain why they stole his SD card. While this was happening, several pedestrians stopped to take photos of the scene, and no one stopped them or seized their cameras. This was the first time in his 20-year career that Vivian was treated like this by police. He said this, quote, I was not obstructing what they were doing in any way. In fact, I started taking photos because they all appeared to be busy. My general plan for things like this is I would approach the police afterward to see what they could tell me, unquote. Guelph today couldn't get comment from the coroner's office. And just in case this is unclear, the police have no right to do this. It's a direct attack on the free press. Now to national news. Canada's progress on fulfilling the recommendations from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission have been so slow that a research group called the Yellowhead Institute has announced it is no longer going to publish an annual report that tracks progress on the recommendations. The story from the Canadian press's Alicia Pasifume quotes the statement from the Institute that said this, At first, the project invoked hope and determination. If only the Canadian public knew about their government's lack of action, we believed, perhaps things would change. That hope, as those who have followed us on this journey may have noticed, has begun to diminish in the fifth year of this project, unquote. In the Commission's final report, there were 94 calls to action. It was released in 2015, the same year that Justin Trudeau was elected, and there was hope that maybe this new Prime Minister would take seriously the calls for change to address the horrors of the past. But not just of the past, the ways in which those horrors continue to impact Canadian society and Canadian institutions. In 2023, Yellowhead found that not a single call to action was completed by the federal government. At this pace, it will take until 2081 for the recommendations to be implemented. So far, just 13 calls to action have been implemented. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Gary Anasangri commented through his spokesperson, Mathieu Perrotin, who said that they are still committed to implementing the calls to action, which is a meaningless thing to say if they haven't been implemented at all in the last year. Perrotin said that the Settlement for Child Welfare and Equalities is one thing that they've done, which is like, yes, correct, but I mean, okay, is that you're just throwing everything that you've done rather than talking about the calls to action? Hmm. And that there is a National Council for Reconciliation, which is a classic liberal thing to do, to make a council or a committee or something do something rather than just actually doing it. Patty Hadju said that they have chosen a site for the Residential Schools National Monument on Parliament Hill. That's the extent of their work. Report author Eva Jewell said this, quote, The Canadian government relies upon apathy and ongoing ignorance on the part of the public as an excuse to not act upon reconciliation. If the Canadian public doesn't care, the federal government isn't going to implement the calls to action, unquote. Next to a new investigation from Erica Johnson and Kimberly Ivany from CBC's Go Public, it's found that Kia is holding cars at a storage lot in Wolverton, Ontario. 
never heard of Wolverton, Ontario before? Neither had I, but it's near Drumbo or the Drumbo Interkip Highway exit that used to mean I was just one interchange away from the turnoff to my grandparents' house. Anyway, it's in southwestern Ontario, not far from Woodstock. Kia is holding these new cars, even though Canadians have been waiting for months or as much as a year for their new cars, so that they can make it look like they'll have lower sales numbers in the last six weeks of 2023. Kia's central regional manager, Vince Capicotto, explained on a call to dealers that only some of the cars people have been waiting for would be released. The rest will stay stocked so that they don't have to look too successful to the company's Korean headquarters. The fear is that if Kia Canada does too well in 2023, the company might pull back on marketing support for 2024. Canada already hit its target of selling 84,000 cars in 2023. Capicotto and Kia refused to do interviews with CBC. The dealers are obviously not happy at all with this. Commissions aren't paid out until a consumer actually receives the car, and so payments will be delayed until 2024, which is not ideal for folks staring down the holidays. But hey, if you've already hit your sales targets, I guess you had a good 2023, so what's the big deal? I mean, this is all very strange. Anyway, you can read the rest of the analysis if you're curious. It's just dealers who are mad and people who are waiting for their Kias who are mad. Capitalism is a hell of an efficient system, eh? And finally, it's the 666th day of the war in Ukraine. Here is a rundown from The Guardian of where things are at. First, the UK Ministry of Defense has said that Ukraine is moving to, quote, a more defensive posture, unquote. The fighting this summer failed to recapture many Russian gains. And as winter sets in, Ukraine is going to be more defensive along the front line. Tax revenues in Russia from oil have dropped by 32%. The Guardian credits the U.S.-imposed price ceiling as the reason why. Ukraine will launch 1 million first-person-view drones and more than 11,000 medium- and long-range attack drones next year. There will be at least 1,000 drones that have a range of more than 1,000 kilometers. Moldova is planning to leave the Commonwealth of Independent States. They've been participating less and less in this Russia-aligned trade body since Russia invaded Ukraine. As a result, the far right is promising to take over the next election in Moldova. And peace doesn't look to be happening anytime soon. Russia rejected a recent peace proposal from Ukraine because, quote, it was absurd as it excluded Russia, unquote, which uh, begs uh, a few more questions. Those are your headlines for Thursday, December 21st. Enjoy this shortest day of the year. Enjoy the darkness and enjoy the cold. It will get colder, but it will get lighter. I hope that you've got some snow where you are. Unfortunately, uh, you know, thanks to totally bizarre weather, Quebec City doesn't yet. I mean, we've had it, but it's gone away. And uh, know that, you know, the light's coming back. You are listening to the podcast at sandyandor.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and anywhere you get your podcasts. I'll talk to you tomorrow.